Hello and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Uh, But good morning, Journey. So glad that you joined us. Uh, Thank you for being among those who braved the rain and and the ugly weather this morning to be here and uh, to be with us. Um, I am Bobby. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm the pastor here at Journey Queens. Uh, And if you've been around over the last, I'd say probably four, maybe five weeks at this point, uh, we have been in a series called Life Changing Prayer based on the book written by uh, Pastor Jim Simbla, who uh, founded and is still pastoring 50 years later uh, the Brooklyn Tabernacle in downtown Brooklyn. Uh, and so we are just about to wrap up over the next couple weeks this series on life-changing prayer. And I hope that for you it has gone beyond the movie theater. I hope that it has begun to actually transform your life. I hope that you are taking what you're receiving on Sunday, what the Lord is giving on Sunday through our worship, through his word and the teaching of his word, and that you are applying it to your lives. Uh, That way your lives can be changed. That the life-changing part of that life-changing prayer can come into effect. And today, we're going to be taking a look, I'm looking at the Exodus story, which is one of my favorite, uh, and we're going to be taking a look at how God is the one who brings the answer. And I think we know this, we're generally not praying to other people, we know that God is the one who brings the answer, but I think it's important for us to, in our mind, remind ourselves of the truth of who is God and who is man. Who, who is mankind and who is God in the equation? And, and really reminding ourselves of that division and what, what lies in that, what power that God has, what sovereignty that God has, and more importantly, as we'll look at today, what understanding and knowledge God has. You see, because we believe that we serve a God who is outside of time and space, that, that he exists our entire lives in this world is, is governed by time, and God is outside of that. He sees the story of mankind. He sees the story of your life like a book that has already been written. He sees the day you were born, the day you're going to leave this earth and go on to be with him for eternity. He sees every detail. The Bible even says he knows when you get up and when you lay down, and he knows the thoughts that you're going to think before you even think them. It feels a little intrusive if you're not used to a relationship with God, but that's okay. Find comfort because it also says that God is a God of compassion and a God of love and of patience and of understanding, that it's safe to have this all-knowing God perceive our hearts, even the dark, sinful parts of that, because he tells us there's no shame and no condemnation that we can come to him to allow our hearts to unfold that there is no shame before God. Why? Because although you may guilt trip yourself about your life or decisions or actions you're making, the God who knows it all understands why you do. He understands the trauma, the fear, the past experiences, the snares that the devil has gotten us in throughout our lives that maybe are lingering for years and years to come. He understands the struggle as we have Jesus as a high priest who understands our struggle. And he, and he loves you all the same. 
that even if you were to clean all that up and then come to God, his love for you will not have wavered one bit. And the good part is in our life, we find that we can't clean it up. We can't get our life to a point that we want to on our own. And God steps in and says, you don't have to. I didn't create you to be God. I didn't create you to be Jesus. I created you to be you and live in my love. I remember, uh, I'll start off today with a quick story. Uh, this was a couple years ago. I went to a Yankees game. I'm a big Yankees fan. I know we're in Queens, but I was born in the Bronx. So I was into, inducted into the Yankees family. Uh, but I went to a Yankees game a year or two ago, and I had a really cool small moment with God. Uh, it was the bottom of the first inning. The game had just started, and I had pretty good seats, was super excited. It was an afternoon game. And Aaron Judge gets up, probably my fav favorite Yankee of all time at this point he's building up to be. And as he was up and I'm watching, I had this thought. It was like, yo, it'd be really cool. It's the first game of the year. It'd be cool to watch Aaron Judge hit a home run right now. It really would. And then I felt God like almost prompt my heart. And he was like, pray for it. Well, pray for a home run. I mean, if that worked, the Yankees wouldn't have lost the World Series since the 90s, right? Yeah, that's not how it works. But he was like, pray for it. And I kind of wrestled with it. I'm like, this is, this is my brain trying to, I was like, all right, well, all right, fine. So I was like, okay, God, if this is you, if I'm really sensing you're just wanting me to pray for it, I'll pray for it. And so I was like, God, I, I pray Aaron Judge had hit a home run. And it was as the pitcher was pitching that I prayed, and it was that very pitch that Aaron Judge cracked it into the left field seats. And I've stood up, obviously excited for the home run, but I'm like, I did that. I prayed for that. That happened. And God's like, you bought a ballpark ticket and a hot dog. You didn't really do anything. Let's just calm down. <laughs> but there was something there that really shook, if I'm being honest, it shook the fabric of my faith. Because as I reflected on it and I asked God about this small, simple moment and tried to process it and figure it out, what I felt like God was showing me was just a simple sentence. Not that I always will, but I always can. Not that I will always answer your prayer the way you want in, in, in a half a second moment, but I always can. And you see, it was in that moment that I began to realize that I had my thinking about my prayer backwards. That I was thinking that God responds to my prayer as if I'm the one calling the shots. But you see, the truth is, we are living a life, as I said, that God sees from beginning to end. And that doesn't mean we can not change our reality or that everything is predestined for us and good luck avoiding it. But it does mean that there is a greater power that God being supreme over time and space, over mankind. Scripture says that this earth is his and everything in it. That we don't call the shots. And you see, it's fun when it's about baseball and Aaron Judge. But what about when it's something that's tugging at your heart? What about in the coming weeks after you're, you're unemployed and you're worried about the next round of bills that are coming this month and then next month and the month after and you still haven't found that job? What about in that relationship in your life that you, you have been praying for for years and you still haven't seemed to see any fruit. 
What about in your kid's life as you parent them and as you worry over them and you love them and you want them to be free from this evil progressively getting harder to live in world and you want them to be godly and you want them to be saved, but you haven't seen it. You see, church, our prayer doesn't tell God what to do, but it does show God our heart. And when we pray, the faith behind it has to be knowing that God brings the answer. So we, as we jump into the story of Moses, and the story, not his full story, but the story of the Exodus, I want you to keep one truth in mind. The truth is that our faith is never tested more in the, than in the moments where we would say God can do anything, and yet he seems to be doing nothing. In the moments where we have, like I had with that simple little home run, that in the next time I was struggling and, and needing God's provision in that moment, and I prayed and I didn't see it within four and a half seconds, my mind starts to say, well, what am I doing wrong? What happened there? Why can't I give that back? Why can't I ask God? And then it comes and, it, and he answers it because that's not necessarily how it works. But the faith that comes with believing the statement, not that I always will, but I always can, is the heart behind God bringing the answer. Pastor Jim Symbol actually has a good quote as uh, he opens up the chapter that we're studying right now. He says, there is no stopping the power of prayer. There's no stopping God from answering our prayers. We can't be discouraged by anything we're facing today because we walk by faith, not by sight. It doesn't matter what we see right now, for what we see is not what God sees. We have to hold on to God and say, we're not letting go until we see our prom your promises fulfilled in our lives, our families, our churches. There's no telling what God can do when his people pray. And so we see this story of this incredible exodus that the Jewish people, the, uh, the nation of Israel, was enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. That's generation stacked on generation stacked on generation of God's people praying for freedom from slavery and God not responding. And so finally, the time comes as we enter into this story with Moses, the famous Moses, and God is guiding Moses to lead his people out of slavery, out of Egypt. Uh, but this is coming with a challenge because there is a Pharaoh, a leader of Israel uh, over Egypt, who is also over Israel, who does not want the people to go. You see, as, as, as is throughout all of time with slavery, that is free labor, and so that was a, a huge uh, reasoning behind Pharaoh not wanting the Israelites to go and to let them go back to have their own nation and be their own people. And so God begins to guide Israel out of Egypt. He begins to guide Moses to go and, and uh, approach Pharaoh with this request. And I think God understands and knows that that is not going to really go well. And so he leads Moses through these, these steps, these plagues that he's going to put on Egypt if Pharaoh doesn't let them go. 
And so there are 10 plagues that come and overtake Pharaoh. And finally, after the last one, he says, fine, I'm done. I'm done resisting. Just go. Obviously, there's a God fighting for you. I don't care. Just get out of my country. And so Moses comes and he begins to lead his people out. Now, what's interesting is we start on this journey is we actually have a picture here. This, this is kind of a, a rough map, uh, an idea of the route God took Israel. You see, the yellow is Egypt, where they were enslaved. The green is the promised land at the top right of your screen, where they were heading. But the purple is where they crossed the sea, and then you could even see the dotted line and how far it took them. And now that red zone, that actually is a clear shot from Egypt to where the Israelites are going. Seems like it would be the easiest route to go, but when we jump into the story in Exodus 13, uh, verse 7, it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. That's the red land. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Church, I wonder how many times we're telling God about the quickest route to get where he's bringing us and where he's promised us. And he's saying, actually, you have no idea what will happen if we go that way. You have no idea if we begin to even trek in that direction on the quickest route, this entire nation's going to get scared and run right back into slavery. Instead, he says, I know a better way. So he begins to lead his people. And you see, although there are a lot of parts of the story that you may know, until you're in diving in and really looking at it, there's all of this hidden text and this story behind the story that I think speaks clearly. We see in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people, from before the people. God not only calls Israel and calls Moses to leave this land, but he says, I'm not going to leave you for a moment. God's presence comes in the form of what we're told, a pillar of Uh, of cloud by day that can be leading Israel, that they can follow this cloud through the desert, through the wilderness to where they're supposed to go. And by night, it turns to a pillar of fire. That way they can still see and can still travel because they are running for their lives. The presence of God doesn't let the people travel into the unknown alone, but rather what we see God do is come and be with his people as they go. And so we see the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and by night in a pillar of fire. And they come up to this, this point in their journey where they are, they are pinched in. They have hit a body of water, as we know as the Red Sea, And there is no crossing forward, and behind them is only Egypt, and in fact is Pharaoh's army. We see in 1410, 
It says, when Pharaoh drew near to the people, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. Pharaoh had a change of heart as, as we probably expected he would and said, uh-uh, not letting these people go. I am on my way to take them back. And, it, and the people feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you, that it would be better for us in Egypt to leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Fair point. Fair point that the Israelites are bringing. Because picture yourself in this moment. You've just been led out of slavery, but now you are traveling in the desert and you hit a dead end. And it is sea and it is death. Those are your two options. It is the army approaching to take every last one of you, probably kill most of you, but bring the rest back to slavery, or this sea that is absolutely unpassable. Church, have you ever felt a time where you're crying out to God? And you said, hey, God, I was asking you to help deliver me from this situation. And really, you just took me out of the frying pan into the fire. Why would you lead me out of slavery just to die in the desert? What is the point of this? The Israelites had a very valid argument. And I think it's an argument that we know very well. Because church, often when we find the times where our heart and our faith is challenged, and I'm not talking about the things that we pray about for a little and forget about. I'm talking about those things in your life you haven't stopped praying about, or maybe you have because it's just too painful to not see results. I'm talking about the life change that you're looking for, the rescue that you're hoping for, the salvation for friends, for family, healing for those who are broken, the times you're in the desert and you see no way out. Our faith is never tested more than the times when we say God can do anything, but it seems like he's doing nothing. There's a psalm in, in Psalm 46 um, that I think applies, and I, I, I absolutely love it. And the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. See, this phrasing, be still, in the original language, actually translates to rest or give up or be disheartened. It means to let it go, to be done, to be, to, to be completely exhausted and completely out of answers. Instead of God telling us something to do when he says, be still, it's almost as if God is giving us permission to not have the answers anymore. It's almost as if God is saying, be disheartened, be wrecked, be in your feels, feel the brokenness you're feeling, but know that I am God. But know that I am God. So the Israelites come up to this point, this no way out situation. And then what happens next is nothing short of a miracle. And it's probably the part of the story that you know the best. And so instead of me telling it, I'm going to let 
the best Moses to ever portray the film, tell it. And that is going to be the story as told by Tommy Pickles from Rugrats. So go ahead and take a look at this. Great, all this way for a dead end. Now we gotta turn around. <gasps> Pharaoh! I got you now, babies! Quick, Moses! Run, Moses! I wanna hear the end of the story. Okay, sit down, everybody. Now, the Hebrews were at the edge of the Red Sea, with the ocean in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind. Moses had to do something. He was running out of time. I hope this works. Wow, now I've seen everything. Get the light out! Thanks for uh, joining me on that nostalgic trip. That was my favorite time of uh, my favorite show growing up. I know what time it came on, it, what channel it was. It was my favorite show. Um, but I think it's awesome. Uh, the real story of, of the parting of the Red Sea is actually a lot cooler. Uh, it's actually a lot more powerful uh, than Tommy Pickles, although he does a great job. And Angelica is Pharaoh, top notch. I mean, just fits the role perfectly. Exodus 14, verse 19. See, this is as Pharaoh is coming over the hill, as the people have realized that they have no other option, and they begin to cry out to the Lord. In verse 19, it says, Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Israel or Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Church, you see what happened here? is the presence of God went before Israel when they needed leading, and it went behind Israel when they needed protecting. And you see, often we're looking for God in the direction we're going, saying, God, where are you? This wilderness makes no sense. And he's like, I'm behind you. I've got your back. We are moving in the right direction, but I'm protecting you. I'm watching over you. Verse 27, the story uh, continues after it says the, the seas parted. I won't go through the whole portion of that scripture, but it says that there was an east wind and it drove back the sea all night so that Israel crossed on dry ground and that the presence of God was between Israel and Egypt. And so as Israel went, Egypt began to follow. And then we see in verse 27, Israel gets to the other side and it says, so Moses stretched his, out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned 
to its normal course when the morning had appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Church, I, I hope this is one of those stories that you can draw encouragement from. Because it's one of those that the Spirit of God has the ability to take from, from my mouth and from this screen and point directly into your heart and directly into your mind. That you can take the story of God's presence going with Israel, not only leading them out of their slavery, out of their bondage, but into an unknown territory to a land of freedom. I hope that you can take a story that tells us how God washed up every one of Israel's fears on the seashore and that you can believe that God wants to do the same with yours. I hope you can see this story and read about how the presence of God went from before Israel to behind Israel when they needed protecting. And you can be encouraged to know that God has not left you, that he has not forsaken you. You see, church, we don't see the entire picture, but God sees it as a story that has already been written. And when we come to God praying, it's, it's difficult for us to not have that mindset of the Aaron Judge home run, of, of I'm going to pray and it happens and that's how prayer works. Because the truth is, if the story is written, if God is already knows what is coming in your life and is sovereign over that, to guide you into that. If scripture tells us that for those who love God, that God works all things together for good, that every one of the details of your life from the, the, the outside circumstances that cause you pain and stress to the internal conflict you wrestle with, your sin, your brokenness, your struggle, your feelings of not being able to draw closer to God, not being able to understand what God's doing, the confusion, the frustration, all of that is wrapped into that verse that says God will use all of it for good. And so church, when you feel that you're in the wilderness and you have absolutely no way to go, I think scripture, I think God gives us stories like this in scripture to go back to and find encouragement in. That when there seems to be no way for you, God will part the sea if that's what's needed to guide you and protect you. That when you face those times of trouble and those times of hurt and your faith is being tested, saying, I believe God can do anything, but right now he's doing nothing, it is good to wait for God. It is good for your faith to be tested for as long as he takes to show up. Because church, although we may feel like at times God has given up on us, 
or if we're willing to wait that 400 years, we'll see a C part. And I think it's an example. It's not to be a discouragement that like, hey, your suffering is going to continue for years and years, so just buckle up. But rather to say that God understands it. And then if we believe we serve a God of compassion and of love that came to earth to die for you and me to make a way so he could have a loving relationship with us. And if our entire lives and our entire walk from this moment until the day we draw our last breath is about getting to know God more and receiving his love more and more in our life to set us free from the things that are changing, chaining us down, then we have to trust when God's not answering, that is his answer. And when we begin to really believe that, true faith begins to form. We begin to worship in the times of mourning. We begin to find joy telling people we can't wait for God to come through. And they look at us like we're crazy. What do you mean? You've been waiting for years. Oh, he'll never change. That addiction, it's, it's got his life wrapped. People just don't change. Oh, no, no. I know my God. That'll change because I'm praying. Because I will not let go of the promise of healing that God has for me. I will not let go of the promise of reconciliation that God has for me. And if I don't see it the way that I'm expecting to see it, I am trusting the plan that God has. I'm trusting in his sovereignty. I'm trusting in his love for me that I don't have to write the story, but I can trust in it. That in the times where it seems like God is doing nothing, really he is doing everything. But our hearts get clouded with this. Our hearts get clouded in the times of trouble. Our hearts get clouded when our emotions rise. Maybe you're here right now and you have a lot going on, but this short hour is a reprieve. You walk in here, you drop the kids off, you're free of clear of mind for, for 10, 15 minutes, and then it feels like you, you have this hour and then you're back to life. And when life hits, it all comes undone again. God understands that. That's not your fault. But I do want to give us something of a little practical uh, uh, purpose that might help you in your praying in the times where it feels like God is doing nothing. Uh, I've, I've shared my recent struggles over the last couple years with some depression, some anxiety, and it has been an amazing, amazing challenge that I've watched God walk me through, but I've also watched my wife be able to come alongside me and love and support me, and it's been a beautiful mess. But one of the things she did is she wrote me this little card, and maybe you've seen an analogy like this before, but it was something that helped me greatly in the time where I felt stuck, the time where I felt like I couldn't get my brain moving forward to the thing I learned on Sunday or, or to, to praising God even though I'm not seeing what he's doing. And it's a simple analogy for the word pray. And I think we'll have it come up on the screens here. The first step is to praise. Church, we always have something to be grateful for. Being grateful is a matter of perspective, not a matter of circumstance. If you're breathing, you have a reason to be thankful. If you have people in your life that you could say, oh, I love them and I know they love me, you have a reason to be thankful. If you have a job and a paycheck, you have a reason to be thankful. If you woke up today with a roof over your head, we have a reason to be thankful. And so it is our role, our job, as we pray to begin, Paul tells us to come with thanksgiving. 
Begin your heart with God with praise. God, thank you for these things. Even though I am in the worst pain that I could imagine, let me take a minute and find the things and the ways that you're blessing me and thank you for them. It's a, it's a matter of heart. It's a matter of perspective. It's not something we have to do, but it's something that helps. Second, this is a, an old school churchy word that we use for confessing to God, and it's the word repent. And the word repent simply means to turn from this way to that way. And the process when we're praying is simply to say, God, I recognize my brokenness and flaws. I recognize the words I said to this person that weren't nice. I recognize uh, that I stole that paper clip from work. <laughs> I recognize when I cursed out that person or I said this to my kids or I lost my temper with my wife. Anything that we can think in that moment that, that we know is not how God wants us to live, it's bringing it before him. It's bringing that guilt and that shame and everything we're feeling wrapped up in it and saying, God, I'm, I'm gonna leave it at your feet for a moment. I'm, I'm sorry for it. I know I'm broken. You see, because if there's no shame or condemnation, it's just simply the shame and condemnation in our minds that keep us from bringing it to God. Because he doesn't mind. He knows it. He knows your thoughts from afar. And so why wouldn't we bring those things to him except to clear our hearts, to clear our minds, and to lay it before God? Third is ask. That's the praying part that we usually think of. God, I need this. God, I'm going through this. I need your encouragement. I need your help. But this last one here is the one that trips me up all the time. And that's to yield. Because church, in the same way that I am sure hundreds and thousands of, of Israelites had no idea what was going on until they crossed onto dry land on the other side of the Red Sea, I believe in our lives we come up to these moments where we have no idea what is going on. <laughs> where we're yelling out to God, why did you bring me out of Egypt just to die in the desert? Out of the frying pan into the fire. I don't get it. But it's in these times that we need to yield to our loving Father. It's in these times that you have to remind yourself that you have a God who loves you and that love is independent on what you do. Your sin, your brokenness, the guilt, the shame you feel, that's not keeping you from God. It's just keeping you from knowing that nothing is keeping you from God. It's just serving as confusion, as a barrier in your own mind. But there is nothing that can separate you from God. You don't bring into the conversation actions and, and a life that God looks at and it's like, oh, all right, one of my troubled ones. That's not how God views us as a loving father. If you have kids, I'd imagine you know that you could come, your kids could come to you with anything and the love that you feel is gonna be still overwhelming for them. See, our heavenly father brings that to the table. And when we remember that in the time of our prayer and we remember to yield and say, you know what, God, I trust who you are. I'm gonna trust how this circumstance comes out. And then we just continue to pray that way. God, thank you for what I have. Here is what I need, but I'm trusting in you. God, thank you for what I have. God, I need this, but I'm trusting in you. God, I thank you for my life. I don't understand why I'm not out of this situation, why this hasn't changed, why this person hasn't, hasn't apologized or hasn't come back. But I trust you. And even if I don't see the plan, I trust that my faith cannot be tested more 
than in the times where I would say God can do anything, but it seems like he's not, and trusting that that silence may be the answer. Would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the amazing work that you do in our lives. God, we thank you for being who you are, that you would earlier tell Moses, I am, is who you are. God, you are. You are everything we need and more, and you are the source of life that we have, and we thank you for it. God, I pray that you would encourage hearts today. God, I pray that you would encourage minds today, that you would take our brokenness and our situations and, and everything that we are facing would you remind us of your love? Would you remind us of how you want to use all things together for good? Would you remind us that when we see our fear, you see our fear washed up dead on the seashore, never to be seen again. Remind us when we see a sea, an impassable body of water, that you see a miracle that will stand the test of time for all eternity and that will create in us a faith that will not be shaken for the rest of forever. Encourage us in the times when we feel like we're still in slavery, enduring for 400 years, waiting for you to rescue us, that you know the plan and that you, God, bring the answer. We pray you'd encourage us, encourage our faith this week. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.